Hi everyone, Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob is a new podcast that relies on audience support. The show began as a conversation that the three of us wanted to make sure we got on tape. And as the podcast grows, so will our home studios. Please make sure you leave a five-star rating and review if you liked the show. And congratulations, because you're one of the first people to hear Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. And welcome to another episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I am Peter Madrigal, one of the hosts of uh, this podcast, where we talk about movies by movie makers, by filmmakers. And of course, one of the uh, one of the people that is with me is Rob Federick, and he is a producer and he's a director. He's directed commercials. He's directed music videos. He's directed one of my favorite movies of all time, The Riven Destiny. And Rob Schulte, he is a producer extraordinaire of podcasts. You should catch him on Vanderpump Robs because that also talks a little bit about me on my other show that I do. Welcome, guys. Hey. How are you guys doing today? Hey. I'm doing great. This is, this is a surprisingly awesome... I'm excited. Let's put it that way. You're excited? You're excited about uh, what, Rob? Well, I, to be fair, I was a little like eye rolly at Matrix because it just feels <laughs> like it's so overdone, but I had a blast, but I'm, we'll get into that. I love that. So for everybody out there, we are talking about The Matrix today, and The Matrix came out in 1999, guys. Can you believe it's been Ooh. 21 years since this movie came out. This I, is insane. I cannot believe that, man. I, when when we decided that we were going to talk about The Matrix, I was, first of all, super excited because it's absolutely one of my favorite movies ever. But then at the same time, I realized, holy shit, we are old yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That goes double for me. <laughs> 21 oh, years. There's, there are kids that were born when that movie was made. They don't even know what that movie is. No, so they don't. we should get them to watch it by listening to this podcast. Uh, what's the what's the line you always use, uh, Rob? For all you guys, if you haven't seen The Matrix, you should go punch yourself in the face. And then, <laughs> you know, as Rob Schulte always says. And when your injuries heal, tune in, stream this mofo. It's on Netflix currently. Now, I don't know about you guys, right? But I'm one of those people, before we jump into this movie, that firmly, like, I love The Matrix movies, but I am one of the people that considers The Matrix kind of a standalone movie, and then they made, like, two spinoffs. That's kind of my take on it. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I think we're all on the same page here. It's such a weird time capsule to look back at. You know, this is 2000, or this is 1999, and then those spinoffs, as we'll call them, were 2003, I think? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 2002, 2003. Yeah, not too far off. Uh, in time, but a lot further off in story. Un- unbelievable. No, it was. It's yeah. actually really unbelievable. I don't really consider um, Revolutions and Reloaded uh, part of the whole Matrix mythos. I don't. I just can't seem to like those uh, those movies. The only thing that I took from Reloaded, 
I don't even remember Revolutions. It was like a big fight, and then that's it. With Reloaded, I think there was the a rave thing, at one point. Yeah. There, there and a weird, awkward <laughs> yeah. sex scene. Awkward sex yeah. scene and a rave, and then two albino twins that could. Um, with dreadlocks that could uh, uh, disappear and reappear in cars. Yeah. I thought they were cool, though. I thought they were cool. No, they, they all they were looked cool. great. Everything yeah. was yes. fun. But yes. but what was it? I, I don't know. It was a yeah, cool guy that's... at the end talking about <laughs> the Matrix and and surrounded by television screens. I was just like, okay, this is heads across America the, exploded. Yeah, you jumped the shark, in my opinion. I don't know. This is a key yeah. fundamental problem I have with Hollywood a lot of the times, where now you know because the franchise is now the money maker. You know, like Boom. I think when the Matrix came out, like the Lord of the Rings was just on its way out in the year two thousand. Star Wars was making a comeback with the prequels, yep. and I think that studio saw the potential and like hey let's continue let's make these trilogies and i think they went back on the matrix because of its success and be, and went like well we can continue this story this is actually a trilogy and i don't think it's set off that way that's why i'm a firm believer that it's a it's a standalone movie with two spin-offs before we get into the movie itself mm-hmm. i was i'm really intrigued did any of you ever watch the animatrix i never did yes, i did oh, you did? I did was that yeah, I own i've it. heard good things about that I'm not a, to tell you the truth, I am not a big um, um, anime fan. I mean, my favorite anime was uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. So that yeah. can, that'll tell you what I think about anime. I'm just like, I can yeah. never get into it. I'm always lost. When I'm watching an anime, I'm always like, what is happening? What is going on? Who's who's the good guy, bad guy? I, I don't know. You know what I mean? What's it's with like, all these tentacles? Yeah, exactly. Uh. <laughs> but, you know, you don't get that with the Animatrix, Rob. I, I, I'm going to... I don't know if it's streaming or not, but if not, I own it. I'll send it to you. I actually ended up buying the Animatrix and the Matrix Revisited, which is like a two-hour-long documentary behind-the-scenes featurette on how they made the first one. And one Very of the things cool. that yeah, it's super cool. And one of the things that Joel Silver talks about when they made the Animatrix was that they wanted to expand the storytelling through across several mediums. And I think the animation is actually really brilliant. So, uh, and it tells a little bit about the pre-origins of the Matrix and the war with the machines. So it's kind of cool to get a little bit of that insight. That's the value I took from it. Yeah, I'm kind of a completionist in that way, but I don't think I could ever play the video game. I've just, it's (laughs) one-star reviews all around. I think vampires were involved. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, guys, you know, this was at like a pivotal point in time, you know. Uh, 1999, DVDs are hot but VHS tapes still exist in the year 2000, I was still able to find an old VHS box to read the back of for you guys before we get into the film. Hell yeah, please. This is what I I live for right here. This is great because everyone knew what The Matrix was by the time it came out on home video. So listen to this. Reality. The world is a hoax. An elaborate deception spun by all-powerful machines of artificial intelligence that control us. Whoa. Mind warp stunts, techno slamming visuals, mega kick action. Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, they lead the fight to free humankind. The See and See Again cyber thriller written and directed by the Wachowskis. The story sears, the special effects stake out new movie-making territory, the movie flat-out rocks. That's the most 90s VHS tape I've ever heard. I wonder if that's the same one that's on the back of the DVD. I wonder. That's very. That's an interesting Ooh. point. I, like. I do, because I do remember that 
DVDs were, that's what you're right. They were hot. And then the matrix was one of the first DVDs that came out yeah. with the interactive menus and mm-hmm. stuff. And it was kind alternative of alternative scenes and right, right. Yeah, which was yeah. a staple for in a way, man, the matrix is a one of a kind revolutionary movie. I think it, bumped us into something else. Well, it revolutionized a lot of filmmaking techniques that were not that were not even heard of back then. I mean, like think about it. It is like the the spinning, you know, everyone started imitating the oh, spinning yeah. cameras. The bullet time, the, bullet time. Yeah, the bullet time, the the, the when Trinity jumps up in the uh, at the beginning of the movie yeah. and then they, you know, they spin around with the cameras. I mean, that was revolutionary for its time. Well, let's jump in because that seems like right up top. So the opening of the movie, you don't really know what's happening. There's like a, a woman on a phone and, and it's all dark. And it's, you, you know, what's funny about this time period, by the way, guys, is that we had a bunch of movies similar to this. It was like back in the <laughs> 80s uh-huh. where you had like the fantasy genre with like movies like Excalibur and Kroll and, and some of these fantasy movies that, you know, they, they take place in the Middle Ages. Well, at this point in time, you had a bunch of movies that were dark, set in this dark, uh, a dark, uh, dark world where it was like Dark dark City or The Matrix. There were yeah. a bunch of these movies that came out there. They just they all kind of looked similar. It's a theme in Hollywood. Yes, exactly. Everyone imitates each other in this town. Yeah. The dark, like dark the city aspect. And yeah, it's yeah, like I you guess can seven barely see what's happening. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You know, seven definitely. Yes, exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they all. They, there's a certain genre of movies that were out at this time that all kind of looked similar. You know, yeah, that that dark city aspect to it. It was, and it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting way to to make a movie. That, like a very interesting look. You know, as so, far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think so too because it it it, it sets your brain somewhere from the beginning, and so yes. we see like the digital numbers and then a gray, dark, rundown city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the people are after this woman who's on the phone who's talking to some guy about the one, but the cops are there, and then these two what look like FBI agents show up and are like, "If you've already sent people in, they're already dead. Like you don't know what you're dealing with." And we find out later why they said that because they can they can transfer their essence into another human. So if they if they can't transfer their essence into those cops, they already know that they're dead. That's actually an interesting point to look at. I didn't think about it that way before, but but I guess that does make sense because like a micro flashback. Yeah, but yeah. I also think it serves to set obviously the intrigue of what I think the Matrix has an amazing pace uh, to its storytelling, but I think that they do set up an intrigue there that. There's something otherworldly about this one character. Like they, something, something's going on here. Like something big is going on here that we don't fully understand. Which I think is the intent of the filmmakers at this point. Absolutely. This also did not suffer from terrible trailers. You know, no, you went no. into this movie, you did not know what the Matrix was, no. and you are learning about the Matrix exactly how Keanu Reeves is. So as an audience member, you know, when you see that first scene before the chase sequence happens um, and the camera freezes and spins around Trinity before she does her kick, like, you don't know if that's just a camera trick or what. It looks like just a camera trick because she's also not doing much but jumping high. All we're getting as an audience is a spin. Yes. But, I mean... I want to ask you guys, I know we're, we're trying to jump into the, the storytelling of the, like the review of the movie, but how did you guys discover the movie? Like, when did you guys first see it? Oh, we can pause for these stories all day. Uh, 
Peter, do you want to go? I'm happy to tell God. Honestly, I don't think I remember when I watched it. I must have been like, it must have been 1999. And I was living, you know, it was, you know, like at my parents. I think it was then that I saw it. But I didn't understand the movie at all. I was literally dumbfounded and just like, what is happening? You know, who's Neo? What? Why? Why is? Why are these cops like able to, you know, I didn't get the movie. I didn't understand it, but I was a kid, you know. And um, um, it wasn't. I, I like. I did really, really like the soundtrack, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the. Oh, yeah. I like the the rave techno aspect and the the hard rock and roll, like you know the Rage heavy metal. The machine Ra- the Rage against the machine at the Dude. end. Yes, similar, Peter. It was. I was still living at home with my parents. I was in high school, and you know, I had a couple of friends that were re like. I liked computers. I played games, but I had friends that were like building computers at that time. And they were, there was, the next weekend that that movie came out, there wasn't an option. We were all hanging out together and seeing The Matrix. And then it became, I think, like you said, Rob, one of the first DVDs when our family got a DVD player that we watched. And I, I mean, I seared a lot of this into my memory because I got to see, you know, behind the scenes featurettes and all of the little pieces that came with the DVD. But... Like I mentioned, you immerse before, yourself. I at, yeah, I worked at a Suncoast, so like oh, it was right. all we talked about for <laughs> yeah. you know an entire year. Yeah. And then uh, when, and I'll keep it short here, but like we said, when the sequels came out in two thousand three, that was like the year I graduated high school. I was too cool for this now, right. and they weren't, or maybe I felt that way because they were lesser than films. I remember that. It was the summer of uh, between like eighth and ninth grade, right? Like I was going into high school and stuff like that. We had a couple of friends. My my younger stepbrother had invited one of his friends over. And my cousin was over and we were like kind of bored and we we're like, hey, man, let's go watch a movie. And I remember it seeing the trailers and the trailers kept like the question, like, what is the Matrix? Uh-huh. But I remember that the trailers like did nothing for me. Like, I mean, like they, they gave me an intrigue, but I was like, this movie looks weird and cybernetic and I didn't understand it. And when they were like, hey, let's go, like, I think it was my stepbrother's friends, like, let's go see The Matrix. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if I'm really into that movie. I don't know if I'm going to under, it looks like something. So they kind of dragged me in there kind of kicking and screaming. (laughs) And we were the only ones in the theater because we went on a matinee show on a weekday. Literally, whoa. Yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) I remember that we, at first we were doing like popcorn fights inside the fucking theater because we were by ourselves. And then we were all, like we were being rowdy. And then when the movie picked up, we were silent. And the three of us, four of us walked out of there with just, I mean, it was one of the coolest movie going experiences I ever had because again, it was such a revolutionary movie. And then on top of that, we got to experience it just for ourselves in this big theater we had no idea what was going to happen. And when we got that, I mean, we were all like, we got to wear trench coats and we're going to start fucking <laughs> kicking ass. And like, we want like, it, it, ins- yeah. it actually inspired early Kajorian designs for the Riven. Oh, I'm not even going to lie. Holy I'm going to pull up shit. that footage. So yes, the Matrix was a big staple in my life. For wow. Sure. Okay. Kajorian is inspired by Neo. That's interesting. Somewhat. <laughs> Somewhat. Wow. Because my cousin was the first guy to play him in our home wow. movies. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Dude, that's nuts. That's nuts. I mean, I like like I said, um, it took me a while to really get adjusted to this film, but um, I mean, now I appreciate it more now that I'm you know older. And I think watching it 21 years later really gives you perspective on the time it came out 
and the time we are currently in. And it's just something you wouldn't have gotten when you watched 1999 or even 2009. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Did it take you guys a while to figure out that humans were batteries? Because I didn't get that on the first run through. I got that on the first run. That's what kind of like, hmm, AI took over. I did have to have friends explain a lot of this movie to me. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. But did you did you believe did you get the part that they were batteries or no? Not until like Lawrence Fishburne like holds up the battery and says like and turns them into this. And yeah. I still don't think I like fully grasped that like human beings were powering a robot society. Right. Which is like I love this movie, but I do think one of the things it lacks is like really fleshing out the real world. Like when they're in their spaceship in the Nebuchadnezzar or when you see externals, it's all kind of just like gray and blurry, but we'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, the battery part I think was hard to comprehend because of that. I didn't get the battery part. I just knew that they were in a computer program simulation and stuff like that, but I didn't realize that the machines were enslaving them for power. I thought they were just enslaving them because... They hated humanity. No, they were slaving well, them for power. Yeah, There's a reason. Yeah. There's a reason for the whole thing. Yeah, no, I, I discovered that like on my second watch. I was like, how the fuck did I miss that? You know? <laughs> yeah, also like they're just evil. They might want to just be like, well, we don't have any use for humans, so just put them in these cocoons. Well, the right. best you know, the they- best villain, the best villain to me is a villain with a motivation. You know what I mean? Yeah. You look at Thanos, he's like, Oh, I want to purge the world because I want to sa- or purge the universe because I want to save it. You know, that's where Game of Thrones messed up, and we can get in that later on. But, you know, <laughs> but my point is, yeah, exactly. But my point is, is that when there's a villain that has a clear motivation and the, the, the robot's motivation, the AI's motivation is to keep humans enslaved so that they survive. Okay, that is motivation. So you kind of can pity in a sense. Yeah. You can yeah. understand what the, the, the AI is going through, what, what they, they need. They didn't you know? choose to be made. Exactly. They just want to exist. <laughs> yeah. It's you should watch the Animatrix, Rob, because it'll it'll give you a cool perspective on on that whole background with the machines. It's 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 kind of interesting. Oh, okay. I'll try and watch it before we record the next episode, so that I can like at least piggyback. So they're jumping across rooftops. Yeah, they're jumping across is- rooftops, and the cops they, they 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 see these jumps across the rooftops. First of all, that shot with Trinity going going across the go, yeah. going from one street across the street, like with that camera above her. I mean, that was an amazing shot. The movies weren't shot like that. Back no, then, they man. weren't. That's no. why this visually and it was seamless. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. they visually just. They broke ground in the way that action is captured that now every action movie does. It makes it harder to be as unique. Yep. Because, like, you know, this is the moment where you're like, okay, this is more than special effects. This person has special abilities. Right. She makes it to a uh, landline phone. And then a truck. I guess so. now we're noticing that the agents are kind of everywhere. And this. Yeah. I didn't even understand this either. Like, she's like, all right, the phone's ringing. She's running to it. I'm like, why would she run to the phone if the truck's coming right at her? And she puts her hand off and the truck runs into the payphone and we don't see this mystery woman. Like the agents even know she disappeared. So we're like, what just happened? By the way, her putting, Trinity putting her hand on the glass of the phone booth, that comes back again. Yeah, she does that again. She does that again. It's kind of like a motif in a sense of this film. I really like Carrie Ann Moss. She's pretty 
fucking badass in this movie. Oh, she really is. I mean, is. everyone is, but like, <laughs> yeah. the movie is made for badassery. You know, now that we're talking about the casting and about the actors, and like, isn't it weird and interesting to think that Keanu Reeves was actually like their third choice? Really? Wasn't it Will Smith? It was Will Smith originally, and he turned it down. Whoa. Guess who was second choice? You guys will not believe me. Oh, God. One. Harrison Ford? <laughs> <laughs> Rob, any guesses? Um, I don't know. I let me think. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> it would have been an odd. It's the Matrix, motherfucker. That would have been yeah. hilarious. Uh, <laughs> no, guys, it was Ready Nicholas Cage. Jeez, Jesus. really? Do you imagine the Matrix with Nicholas Cage? I lost just a little bit of control there, but now everything's cool. No. This would have been like straight off of Raising Arizona or something. <laughs> Probably, but you know what though? Back th- that, I will give the benefit of the doubt for that in that sense that Nick Cage was actually making good movies back in the past. Like his career took the the other way around. Like he he was making like good movies at first and then he made shitty movies afterwards. Yeah. Because we can't yes. forget leaving Las Vegas and The Rock, man. Yeah, I yes. know we can't or Con Air. Whoo! Yeah. Con um, Air. But he definitely would have had a good whoa. Yeah, he would have. But oh I think that God, Keanu's I think Keanu's uh whoa is the is <laughs> actually what he's known for in a few He different... had two movies to practice. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> so well, oh Bill and Ted you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have, by the way, have you guys seen that new preview for the new third the third Bill and Ted? I saw it was out, but I haven't watched it yet. Oh yeah. my god, dude. It's gonna be a fun movie. It's gonna be a fun movie. It's just damn man, Keanu's now showing his signs of his age, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. I think he stopped drinking the blood of innocence in his vampire <laughs> abilities wore off yeah because he's been around <gasps> since when 1700 probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey speaking of he's been sleeping since 1999 because we cut to this scene of him like flat on his egonomically correct keyboard just listening to tunes and passed out I, I, I have a little bit of a uh, grievance with that scene um, when he wakes up uh, why doesn't he have the keyboard attached to his face like like yeah. uh, like like the marks of the keyboard should be atta- like there should be marks <laughs> all over his cheek from sleeping <laughs> on top of his keyboard. You know, it says QWERTY, but there are marks on the screen. There are marks on the screen. And what did they say, Rob? Uh, it says, "Wake up, Neo." Whoa. And then it says, "Follow the the white rabbit," and he can't escape it. And then it says, "Knock knock," and then boom, knock knock on his apartment door. When I was watching this movie, I was just like, what is happening? Like, yeah. I I was on, like, when I saw this movie, I was in the ride with Neo that I really just had no clue how to process any of this information, but I wanted to follow the White Rabbit. Which is a very, yep. very specific reference. It's um, Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. um, which is like, it's, it, to me, it's a... Uh, it, I think the Wachowskis, when they made this movie, they um, they wanted to do a like a modern day version of Alice in Wonderland. That's what I that's oh, yeah. that's what I picked up on. You know, yeah, they touched I up com- on a lot of simulation, yes. simulacra books and stuff like that exactly. too. They yeah. they really dove deep on the philosophy on this one. What do you guys think? What did he sell them? We don't need to know. It like totally makes sense for the movie, but he sells them some disc before they invite him to a party. It's two grand, Rob. That disc yeah. cost two grand in nineteen ninety nine. Means it's like yeah. five grand a day. 
Yeah. Uh, and he says, right, if you get caught using that, and he's like, oh, I don't, what, what do you think it was? I think it was some kind of codes to the U.S. government because uh, the the character of Neo, I think he's a hacker. I'm with you there because I kind of thought this was a nod to the movie Hackers because these folks oh, are way. like really over the top. And so like this could be a we live in the same universe sort of winky wink sort of uh, issue. So it right. could be like government secrets or it could just be a disc that allows them to operate ATMs and get a bunch Probably. of cash for the night. Yeah. I honestly think though, because the guy, when he gets it, he's like, oh, you're my personal savior, my personal Jesus Christ. I think he gave him a code to wipe out like a criminal record of some sort. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's it. That's got to be it. And then like you that- think about it, right? If you get caught using that, like it's a problem because like he was like, oh, he probably had something on his record because he talks about mescaline and doing drugs and stuff. Yep. So you might, I, in my opinion, is like, you know, he made probably money doing like, hey, this is like a clean wipes thing. You know, exactly. Like a clean wipe thing. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because he's all about like figuring out what's real and what's being controlled. And if this guy is being controlled by a past record and he can wipe out what's controlling him, that gives him some sort of control. I don't know. It's just very interesting. I think that's yeah. the beauty of that scene is like, we'll yeah. never know. We'll have to dive into it. Yeah. Now, that, 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 that person needs his own movie now. <laughs> you know this is, this is the cool thing about the matrix. Cause it, it further creates the mystery of this world, but it, I'm okay with a little mystery left unchecked. Oh yeah, yep. yep. We don't need yep. to. We don't need to know when how Han Solo got his nickname. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that that you know it's a good thing they never addressed that. You know, yeah. that's a really yeah. good thing they never addressed it at all. <laughs> so these these dudes ask Neo to. Uh, to head out with them, and he's like, "No, I've got work tomorrow." And then what does he see? And then the the girl, the girlfriend, the woman, she turns around, and on her shoulder is a white rabbit. So he goes to the party. Oh, he doesn't even <laughs> question it at that point. He's just like, "Yeah, you have yep. to." At that point, because you just got a message from someone that you've been looking for. So you never know that this this is it. So it's like, okay, screw it, let's go. And you know what's funny is that in the next scene where it's the rave, and but I don't even know. I mean, would you consider first of all, would you consider this a rave? Because they're not playing rave music. They're playing, or they're not playing house. They're playing hard heavy metal. Uh, you know, yeah. Rob Zombie, man. Rob Zombie, yeah, that's not yeah. regular. Another fantastic director. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we're going to have to talk about it in one of his movies. You're a big uh, horror yes. movie fan, right, Rob? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, but here's the thing. I obviously wasn't old enough to go to clubs at this time, but all of these clubs look like they exist in uh, the movie Blade. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> I, I don't know the appeal of them, but apparently something. I guess it's the idea of, like, something underground. But, yeah. Uh, Neo... Or Mr. Anderson meets Trinity, and there's a fun little exchange where he's like, you did this huge heist. I thought you were a man. And she's like, all men do. (laughs) It's just like, damn. That's really cool that back then we had such a strong female character, and they kind of addressed that a little bit in that movie. Yeah, I I think it's a very... I think it was very important, and especially with uh, the Wachowskis... Um, who are 
trans women, I think it is a really good way of being able to point out something that was a bigger deal. Yeah, because even that cast is really diverse. If you look yes. at everybody that's in there. And yes. and Neo was supposed to be Will Smith. So so like diversity in that movie was kind of kind of ahead of its time, but it was also kind of just like accepted in a way, way. You know, I think it's also cuz like it's people of the world unite against the the common enemy type of thing. But I think that might have been a motif that they kind of went with. And it was the swing in 90s where nothing was wrong with anything. Right. Right. So everything right. was like really nice and peaceful in the peaceful. 90s. Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward to I wonder what the new Matrix movie is going to be like. You know they're making a fourth one, right guys? Yeah. 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 Like oh I my god. Can't even imagine. Yeah. I look forward to rewatching those spin-offs. The time has come to make a choice, Mr. Anderson. Either you choose to be at your desk on time from this day forth. Or you choose to find yourself another job. His suspicions are confirmed that there is a bigger world that he is going to learn about and that when he gets the call, he should answer it. And it skips to uh, when he's at work the next day. Is that right? Yeah. Well, no, it skips to it skips to his alarm clock going off and oh, uh, yeah. and he's and he's late he's then work. late for work and then the next scene is him in front of his boss uh, his boss reprimanding him for being late to work. Something yeah. we can all relate to. We can right? all relate to that. Like, you know, it's it, and it's part of the everyday existence where you're late to <laughs> yes. school, late to work, you know, if, if late to a to a lunch meeting, we can all relate to this cuz this is like a, a a natural occurring thing throughout the world. Everybody's late at anywhere in the world at one point or another, you know? And so, it shows you just like the just like it doesn't matter the monotonous yeah. the monotonous nature of this matrix world the you mundaneness know? of it yeah like yes. do you guys know that there's a this is a visual motif this is like a little fun fact of the filmmaking side that the matrix is actually color coded in the film like everything that is in the matrix is represented through green tones like if you look at those scenes they're color corrected to tint more towards the greener tones. The costumes are usually like shades of green to represent that that is the simulated world. And then when they're in the real Ooh. world, it's actually bluish gray tones, that. like earthier tones mm -hmm. to make it like, you know, browns and stuff like that, to make it rustier, you know, to make it look yeah. more organic. So it's like the synthetic versus the organic so that uh, people don't realize this, but when you watch a movie, sorry, when you watch a movie like that, subconsciously that does trigger things in your mind to understand the difference between the two, which yeah. I think is amazing. That's amazing. I didn't even, I mean, I, I, I noticed those, those, um, those color corrections, but I didn't really put them together. And it's not until it's like directly told to you that you're really just like, Oh yeah, his suit is green. Even the agents, their suits are green. They're just, yeah. they're just like a real dull tone of it. Oh, so yeah. Uh, sense. FedEx delivers a cell phone, right? Uh, to Neo, who answers it, and Morpheus is on the line and is like, yo, agents are coming to get you. Do exactly what I say. How cool was that cell phone back in the day, though, with, like, the oh, flip? Yeah. Like, the thing, like, now we have iPhones, but nobody fucking pays attention to the fact that when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's a fucking cool cell phone. Uh, <laughs> that does a little, like... Right. I would like that cell phone today. I mean, why not? Yeah. Right? It, it, it like flacks open. Like it's kind of, yeah, it was really cool, man. Very like cool a precursor sound. to like the sidekick. Right. Which is like the, 
So so the the man on the other the man on the other line he correctly identifies him as Morpheus. And this man, Morpheus, tells him, oh, you know, you, uh, you got to get out of the building and there's only one way to get out. Uh, there's only two ways to get out. Either you get out through the way I'm telling you or you go through, you're going to go with them, right? And he sees them. He looks up out of his cubicle, which is part of the mundaneness of this world. He looks up and he sees the agents coming for him. Which it puts everybody in that dilemma. Yeah. Because like when I was watching this, when he, when he gets to the office after he plays this long game of Frogger with Morpheus... <laughs> When he finally gets to the office at the end of the hallway and he opens the, the window and, and I'm just like, I'm on, I'm, this is like the first time I'm on, I'm on the seat of my pants. You know what I mean? Because he, because yeah. rewatching it, you know, you know what Trinity can do, jump and kick and flat, da, 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 da. but then like, I kind of put myself in, in, in Mr. Anderson's position. Right. So he opens the window and he gets on the ledge and I'm all like, dude, I could do that. Let's do it. Just do it. Just go. You know? Yeah. That's, like, how, you know? how tall was that building? Exactly. And he's like, no way, no way. Right. And he gets to he, he's trying to get to the scaffolding and he can't get uh, get can't get around this uh, this ventilation system, I suppose. And then on top of all that, I was all like, dude, put the cell phone in your pocket because <laughs> then he drops the cell phone. You know, and the next thing you know, he gets he gets got by the uh, by the agents and Trinity sees him because she's on a motorcycle. She sees him getting uh, put into the car by the agents and she's like, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> Well, and they notice her too. I, I fundamentally believe that they know that that's Trinity because they can see through everybody's eyes in this entire city and they can't see through hers. Well, and they're the only people they can't inhabit. Like the, the unplugged humans are the ones that, because they're not connected to the Matrix. They do a really good thing in this movie that like give you just enough rules that allow the entire film to be believable. Because like, you see maybe at most five agents at once. And so you are told they are they have limitations. Like there aren't agents everywhere or else, you know, the matrix couldn't work correctly. But like at certain points in time, you you know, they they talk about it later, but like, you know, not everything will be able to turn on them, but they might still have to kill a human because they're potentially an agent at any point in time. It's nuts to me, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just the 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 creativity that went into creating all that, the fact that you have these villains that can inhabit anyone, it just furthers that notion of you really don't have freedom in this place. Yeah. But so they take uh Mr. Anderson into one of my favorite creepy scenes, I guess, of the movie where even now when I watch it, I still go like, Oh, where <laughs> yeah. they interrogate yeah. him. It's a classic, great give you the finger where he's like, you know, you're the, you know, Agent Smith introduces himself. He tells him that, you know, we know all about your hacking. We know about your other life. Um, always referring about the dual lives, which I think that's an interesting foreshadowing motif. But then Neo comes and says, well, I know my rights. You know, you can't scare me with this Gestapo crap. I want my phone call. How about I give you the finger? And he just does it and then give me my phone call. And then Agent Smith says, you can't, you know, how are you going to have, how are you going to take your phone call if you don't have the ability to speak? And then all of a sudden his lips merge. (laughs) Oh, man. And that's when you really know that, okay, are these guys wizards or what is going on here? You know? Yeah, they are not FBI. That's Mm -mm. for one thing. Like, and no one's told us they were. We are just like assuming this stuff. Because of the motif that they wear, like they wear the glasses and the, and the, the earpiece. 
yeah, the earpiece and the suits and ties. And from the motifs that we know about the FBI, I mean, like, okay, yep. yeah, they look like FBI agents. Okay, cool. From you what know? we've seen in our entertainment, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't yeah. see FBI agents most days, but I see them a lot in movies. And so it's fun that they just play these little tricks on us the whole time. Yeah, the whole movie like, is about reevaluating what you think is reality. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like it's like also because the machines gathered their information from whatever archives they could to create this simulation. So I feel like that's why the Matrix is ironically cliche. Absolutely. In a weird way. Yes. Mm-hmm. But then that they bug. Mr. Anderson, they bug Neo, uh, uh, and that's the uh, creepy part where uh, uh, this thing goes in through your uh, belly button, and oh uh, my god, is it cringy? Even now, it's still cringy because yeah, it's like, so oh, you cringy. see that thing like whopping around in his belly. Oh man, I even touch my belly button every time I see that. Yeah, scene. this scene and the scene we're about to see when Neo wakes up are some of the hardest to watch in this for me. Ugh. Well, here's the thing. Like when Trinity finally, when Trinity catches up with him, and then they, uh, and then he discovers that that's that that was real. That's when I think he really starts to freak out. You know, when they actually yes. extract that metal Terminator-looking bug right. thing in his body. Oh, and it know? injects all that fluid yeah, with fluid. him too. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think. I mean, like, I'm surprised. Here's another pet peeve of mine. I'm surprised that he can actually walk. Because I mean, wouldn't he have a hernia afterwards? <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. You know, well, that's you all like the all... Matrix, man. You think that's hernias he's feeling? Oh, that's <laughs> true. Wouldn't he have an incision or something? Wouldn't this thing have broken out? Or I don't know. I'm not. I'm not looking for the alien coming out of John Hurt and bursting out. You know, but yeah. That's great one. <laughs> but but I am looking at like okay. Well, is he bleeding? I mean, how do they get this thing out? It looks big. That thing looks yeah. huge. You know that bug. And why do they use something so big that can be easily tracked? Just put a little chip in his hand, and there you go. Done. <laughs> that's exactly what my girlfriend said. She was like, she's like. They could have done whatever they wanted in this movie. They could have been a little thing behind his earlobe, but instead it's this gross squid going into his belly button? What the fuck? Well, I guess they wanted to make it creepy and unsettling, obviously. Oh, yeah. But yeah, but, but still. It's cyberpunk. All like a, <laughs> yeah. That's great. But, then, but yeah. then we're brought into the real... Now we're... Like now there's we're there's some great lines in these next scenes, but we're introduced finally in physical presence to Mr. Morpheus. And what a great performance by Lawrence Fishburne, man. Oh, Just man. so embodies calm. the character. Totally yeah, does. does, man. Like a cool, calm, collected dude that just seems to have all this infinite knowledge, but also there's so much mystery shrouding him. Plus, he's wearing all black and sunglasses in this dark, dilapidated apartment. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? We don't know. We still, we're with Neo. Like, do we trust all this? is the first thing that comes to my mind when I see it. Yeah, exactly. So I was looking up Morpheus because I wanted to look this up. I've looked this up before. Morpheus in Greco-Roman mythology, one of the sons of Hypnos, uh, the god of sleep. Wow. So I all, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Sends human shapes of all kinds to the dreamer while his brothers, um, Phobiter and Phantius send the forms of animals and inanimate things, respectively. So Morpheus was the god of sleep. So, like, he could probably control both whether you sleep or wake up. Exactly. And yes, yes. Yes. It's all coming together now. Morpheus asks 
Neo, if he would like to experience the real world, um, know the truth, and he is offering him two pills. If he takes the red pill, he will continue down this journey, and if he takes the blue pill, he'll wake up, he'll think it was all a dream, and he won't have to worry about anything again except for his mundane life. Neo doesn't hesitate. Yeah, he takes the red pill and sees how far, how deep the rabbit hole really goes. Yes. Which is is really cool, again, because you're getting the story points where choice is a very big element to this whole story, right? Like the the choice of free will, right? And uh, there's a great line that um, Cypher says to him, which is played by Joe Pantolino. Pantolino, I forget. Pantalone. Joey Pants. Joey Pants. Pants. Let's just call him Joey Pants because he's an awesome actor. But he just says, Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. What a great line, man. It's so good. And I I don't know if you guys know this, and I am originally from Kansas. Oh, really? I always, you know, but here's the thing. You always hear you aren't in Kansas anymore, you know, when you move to New York for the first year. And then... Hearing you get so eye rolly at lines like that to hear like a new spin and kind of a badass sort of way is like, <laughs> ah, it's not the thing I always hear, <laughs> which is just a reflection of how just cool and yes. like different these characters are. Like you were saying, I think it does remind me slightly of hackers, which back then I thought it was like, oh, these guys were like the hipsters of cool in a weird yeah. way, like, uh-huh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. They, he takes the pill and they strap him in. They bring him into this room where it's like all these. <laughs> okay, so I have another pet peeve, right? How does this actually work? So he takes the pill and then that's it? Because they're like, they're putting down these phones and all this stuff. So how does he actually make the transformation? Well, I Morpheus mean, says it though. Morpheus says so the, he has the a red tracker. pill is part of a trace program. Gotcha. Okay. That helps us track where your physical location in the real world is. He doesn't say physical, gotcha. but he says it's part of a trace program. Okay, sweet. So 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 all of the like his his uh transformation into the uh real world is done through like the phones and all that stuff. Cause I didn't really understand all like I, I don't know, he just take Morpheus takes the phone and puts it down and to be fair, they don't really explain the phone thing and you only get a visual of the phone at the end of the movie which was pretty cool um but like in this i would say it's a little bit clunky in the fact that like neo starts to like trip out he touches a mirror and then like the liquid like it turns liquidy another reference to alice in wonderland yes that's right the mirror yeah the liquid starts going over his body like he's in the tlc's waterfalls video (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then, uh, and then we cut to the real world where they have like located where he is as a battery. But guys, I think also this scene. Granted, we're not supposed to understand how all the tech works, but I think what sure. I got from it is that the phones are line in, line out, kind of. You know, that's how we used to connect to the internet back in those days, gotcha. dial up. And sure. I think that uh, the other thing is when he trips out and stuff like that, it's because his. Like his body, I guess, is starting to sever from the matrix reality yeah. into the oh, real reality. And his brain isn't fully understanding the difference at this point. And he's, he's, you know what I mean? Like he's totally, it might, it might feel cold because that liquid that he's in, it feels cold or, you know, his, but something's happening to his brain process that's disconnecting from the matrix. Yeah. Uh, which okay. I think that that's that what sense. I, but I didn't get that obviously on the first run. That's, 
of many many run throughs of watching it and then and it is something to like think about too because it it may not even be you know yeah like you said it perfectly you don't you don't know until afterwards and then it takes rewatch to like really piece the things together because when he wakes up in the real world this is something that is very sci-fi creepy dark this yes. is something we have yes. never this seen is- like this is a complete curveball. It's, it's almost like hellish. It, oh, absolutely. And the music they use, and then you see Neo, he's bald, and he's got all these plugs, and it's just this nightmare scenario. It's hard and, for me to watch, like I was saying. Like, yeah. If, if, if the person awakes, and he finds out that he's a battery, and he's like looking around, he's stunned, and this robot comes up to him, why did the robot, fl- like, did he just flush it down, and then that's it? Or the robot just flushed the human down that's why don't you well rob why why don't you run us through it so keanu breaks out of his little like battery bed and this spider looking robot grabs him and it's terrifying like i thought upon first watch that like this is the matrix realizing they've got a rogue battery or something and they're gonna just swap it out but it attaches itself to Neo, takes one of the hose in the back of his, that's plugged into the back of his head because he's got pipes and hose attached to him all over the place, and takes it out. And then, like you said, Peter, it flushes him down this this tube after all of these, oh, God, uh, tubes get yanked out of his body. And you realize that it was Morpheus's team like controlling these robots from their spaceship or hovercraft um freeing him since they had located him from the red pill. So so they so Morpheus's team had control of that robot. That's what my understanding was. I, How I about you, Rob? I don't know. I think it's the, you know, he broke through free and I feel like the 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 machines are just saying, "Oh, we this one broke from the matrix because I think later on it's established that the matrix wasn't accepted by everyone. So I feel like they, it oh. was like they maybe think it's like a bad batch, and so they disconnect him to then reinstitute another human into its place, and they just flush that one down. But my oh, main well, my, then I guess it could have been my initial thought. <laughs> yeah, my main thing though, I feel like what triggers me, like what I think is amazing about this scene, is just like the level of art direction. Um, oh, yeah. And if you watch The Matrix Revisited, which is really great, it's just the best behind-the-scenes documentary about that movie. Um, well, the only one, really. But uh, <laughs> you you get a sense of how the directors really... Like, they really went in to find the right artist to create these things. Like, I don't even know who... I forget the name of the artist, but we're talking on par... It's not par- Geiger, right? It's not Geiger? I, I don't know if it was, because it's very similar to Geiger no, from Alien. I know, you know what you're saying. It was, like, inspired by Geiger, but I forget their name, too. But yeah. you can put it in the show notes or something. Yeah, but he's... Uh, but but the art direction is just super impressive. Like, I, I... It really does separate everything you've seen. And again, it's this movie blowing your mind and reinstituting a new innovative approach into storytelling that... Man, I wasn't I wasn't ready for any of all this, and I'd seen Event Horizon and all these other movies, and still it was like whoa to me, you know? Yeah, whoa. like whoa. <laughs> yeah, so just to brush over part of it, like you get these amazing visuals that you guys talk about about the real world, and they are rebuilding uh, Keanu Reeves or Neo's body because obviously his he's in atrophy, and they're using 
art direction and stylistic shots to transition this period while they like essentially regrow his entire body and have him operate again. And we get to a scene where he can finally, Neo wakes up in a bed, he has an IV in him, uh, he's able to sit up, and after he pulls out his IV, he notices he still has one jack in the back of his head. You know what's interesting to me about that scene uh, is bef- when when they're rebuilding him, he he says one line where he's like, "Why do my eyes hurt?" And Morpheus says, "You've never used yeah. them before." I still, at this point, when I first watched the movie, I didn't understand what was going on, and 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 I think that's the intent, right? It's like, but but it's so brilliantly done, man. Like if you watch the Matrix over and over again, you see that they really had everything thought out to the T. And they give yeah. you little glimpses of them, but the more that you see it, it's not like, oh, like it's like it's more of a wow, like that really was well thought out, and you're really riding it like Neo is. That I didn't understand why his eyes would hurt and that he would never use them before. He's been using them the whole freaking movie until this point, but I didn't know that you, this was a separation of worlds. We talked a lot about script math last episode when we watched Back to the Future, yes, and this is just another one of those moments where like. I mean, I'm sure it was on a rewrite or something, or maybe not. Maybe it was from the beginning, but it's definitely a payoff later when they're training and he's like, and Morpheus tells Neo, you know, what, you think that's air you're breathing? Right. It's the same oh. sort of thing where they like shock you again. It's like, oh yeah, he never used his eyes. Oh yeah, you don't actually breathe in the Matrix. You know, like yeah. wrap your head around the spoon, that you, sort of thing. You guys want to hear something crazy about the behind the scenes aspect of this is that um, Always, Ke- Keanu Reeves was actually he underwent spinal surgery before the making of this movie, and he because he he had a disease that was actually slowly paralyzing him. Oh my Whoa. god! And he had to wear a neck brace for most of the movie and take it off during scenes. And then, like you see it in the Matrix Revisited, when he's training, there are moments that he's doing the choreography, and then he'll be like ah, and he'll grab his neck real quick, and it's like he couldn't make that move because it would put strain on his. On his neck, and it was like he was like 33. He was like basically facing something that was going to paralyze him. The sp- the spinal surgery fixed him, and then he's doing this Matrix action movie where, oh also like in a weird way, he's getting rebuilt to use his body again. I thought that was just incredible. That's interesting, actually. Holy That's very- shit! And then he did John Wick, where apparently he's all healed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Many years <laughs> later. God, yeah. So anyway, so he's training with Morpheus. You know, there's a quick thing where we learn it's like way in the future, the humans are fighting the aliens, or the aliens, the humans created an AI. How did the how did South Park make fun of this movie? They're all like, uh, they give Stan um, just Jameson to get him into to get yeah. him into the Matrix. <laughs> watch that i'm gonna have to watch that yeah one. you're gonna have to and they're all like you know the the the, the aliens have taken over it's like oh robots fuck you yeah <laughs> the aliens or, or robots whatever who cares fuck you fuck, yeah there's there's a few crucial things where they were like you know the humans created the ai the ai evolved to take out humans but they were solar powered so humans are like hey we'll just get rid of the sky which is a total human thing to do Right, um, and it didn't Black work. Black in the sky, because like, is it like yeah. as if uh, humans don't need the sun either? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. what? Very short-sighted. And Almost that's in the like... Animatrix. You should watch that. That's in the Animatrix okay. in the okay. first two. We keep coming back to it. But I, Ooh. but I agree with you. Even even though it's in the Animatrix, it's kind of like 
but why would you do this? And I think they make it seem like it's a last desperate act because the machines have just gotten that yeah. powerful. You know? It's definitely not choice one or two. You think? Do you guys think that we'll ever get to a point of this? You know, yeah. I was going to ask that question before. Do you think that machines would become self-aware? Now that we're into the machine, the whole machine thing right now, we've just gotten into it. Do you think that they would ever get to this point? Elon Musk certainly thinks he, we do. I feel like they're, we've mapped the mind, we've figured out the genome, but I think there's probably like five or six more steps of things that we're going to discover as a, as a human race and, a, and as technologically minded as that we are before we realize like how you can truly integrate like human and machine because... You know, it feels like we're just scratching the surface with how Alexa even works. I'm one of those. I had a. I remember I had a huge discussion with this one dude. We almost we almost got into a fight because he really believed that machines would become self-aware, and I actually don't think that that can happen. I think that we'll get to a point where AI will be very convincing, but at the end of the day, right? It's a program. It's a coded response to stimuli. For you to be self-aware. Yeah conscious or whatever i think michio kaku the philosopher without getting too crazy into astrophysics and stuff like that but he basically says that the most advanced ai systems we have today are the equivalent of like comparing a human to a really dumb cockroach like that's how because apparently like your brain if it were a computer it would take up eight or nine city blocks in new york city and it would need like something like 18 nuclear power plants Whoa. to keep it cool from overheating. That's how powerful our brains are. So I think we're really far away from sentient computers. But I will say that I think we're going to get to a point where we'll have very convincing AI at some point. I think you're right. That's probably where we're going to get. And by that point, we are going to be all like maybe 200 years old. Because the aging process is going to be fine by then. I agree um, with that. that I'm is. looking forward to that. <laughs> true. Guys, it's the training segment of the movie, which is one of the most fun. Yeah. Uh, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, just yeah, Show walk me. us through this, Peter. So they, 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 both get, they both get hooked up to the Matrix, and it's a training simulation, right? And, uh, and they start Morpheus... Morpheus and Neo get hooked up to the the Matrix together, and they get put into a training simulation, and um, and they start fighting, and it is probably some of the coolest, most kick-ass choreography that I have ever seen, and that includes today some of today's movies too. I mean, uh, I, one thing it's I will good. say is that you know, like with uh, with with Neo, you know the the. The haymakers that he's throwing, you know, they're pretty wide, pretty way out there. And a professional fighter would be like, oh, please give me those haymakers because they're easy to block. And you can like <laughs> you can hit him into the ribs and then hit him into the stomach and then come uppercut, you know. But that that being said, I'm surprised Morpheus didn't do that. But that being said, I mean, I, I like I like the I love the choreography. I love the jumping and then Neo doing the useless, you know, running up the running up the wall to jump around, to uh, jump over Morpheus, and then for him only to just 
kick Neo in the stomach. That was actually, and then that was really it's cool. It's the Spider-Man climbing walls scene. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, but yeah. It, for me, it was like one of the things that really got me going was uh, the crew, the crew members. They all started gathering around like Morpheus is fighting Neo, right? And yes. they just started running over and watching this. You know what I mean? It was like uh, the most entertaining thing that these people have seen since um, never. <laughs> Tasty wheat. Right, right. Tasty wheat. <laughs> But I think they have that anticipation that they all have been on this mission to find the one. And, like, Morpheus is fighting Neo is kind of like a, holy shit, let's see if this dude really is the one. Let's yeah, see exactly. his skills. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he um, he kind of, uh, he, he, he has the ability to best Morpheus. And Morpheus even said, you know, stop trying to hit me and hit me, you know? Yeah. Because Morpheus knows that this guy is like more than what he seems. Morpheus believes in Neo more than Neo believes in himself, you know? Well, yeah, this is the, you think that's air you're breathing scene. Neo still hasn't, he's crossed the part where he knows he can do fun stuff, but he still doesn't get it. And so yeah. Morpheus pulls him to another, you know, scenario. It's a big gloomy background, but he's still got his two chairs and that's where he explains to him the stuff we were talking about earlier with the sky and the AI. Oh no no no! That was that, was that actually came before, that yeah. That, came before. Because he no he, the next scene after that is um, the jump. So so Morpheus decides to say, okay, let's put in another training simulation, and they put him on top of a skyscraper, both him and Neo. And you're um, right. My apologies. And, and and Morpheus is all like, free your mind, and then he runs and he jumps all the way from one tall skyscraper. To another, and we've and seen if, this before, right? We yeah. saw it with Trinity we and the Agents, so yeah. now we know that there's something to this. Yes, and then and Neo's all like, oh, "Okay, okay, okay." And he starts rubbing his hands together, you know. And he's like, <laughs> "Okay, free your mind." You know, first he says, "Whoa," and then he starts rubbing his hands. Okay, all right, let's let's do this, right? So he tries it, and he falls. And now, like, here's the thing: if it was the actual Matrix, he would have died. His mind would be gone. But because it's the training simulation. He just bounces up and down and bounces. And then, the, and then that kind of ends everything. And everyone's all like, well, you but, know. But we get a key piece of information here that people don't know, which is one of the rules of this movie is that he wakes up in the real world again. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden he wipes his lip because he feels some pain. And then he yes. sees that there's blood on his hands. And he says, I thought you said it wasn't real. And Morpheus says, well, your mind makes it real. And we learn that if you die in the Matrix... You die in the real world, which I kind of don't get on board with. Me neither, uh, because like, yeah. it, so your mind is beating yourself up. So basically, what the weird thing about I think this is the contradiction of this movie, but I guess we have to establish Except that it. there's stakes involved, and this is the one suspend your disbelief no, thing no, no, is no. that we're freeing our minds, mm-hmm. we're able to manipulate and jump across buildings and stuff because we know that this thing is fake, but yet if you die in the program. Your mind makes it real anyway. Even and I and I get the point where they're like, "Look, your body can't live without your mind." I get it, but your mind is aware this is fake. Yes. So why do you die in the real world? Is exactly. my my question. Yeah, I think point. a couple more lines of dialogue in there could have really cleared that up. You know, just just a couple more things in there to just be like, if you die in the Matrix, your mind can't survive without your body. Um, and you know, blah, 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 data numbers, two, three, four. You're right. It's the one thing in every movie. 
Because see, here's the thing: I can I can get on board with like getting all of a sudden disconnected from the Matrix. Oh, that'll kill you. Right. You know, I get right. that. Like, because right. like that can like pulling the plug on a yeah, computer. pulling the plug on a computer exactly. Yeah. But um, but like the whole oh, you're gonna get shot here, so you get shot over the uh, you're getting killed in the in the real world. I'm like, huh. Oh, I mean, I can understand hmm. it if your mind still believed that the Matrix was real and you didn't know about the real world, but because you free your mind. Why all of a sudden is it? Well, you can do everything else, but you but you still can die in it. And I guess, like I said, it's the one thing where like, well, we we have to keep some element of danger in there. Like I'm, I'm with you, Rob. They maybe should have thrown in one more little science bit that maybe they said something look, no about matter, the AI and right. Like being no matter how in. you free it, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. Yeah. But uh, you know, they go back in again for one more lesson. And that's a, a busy, busy street corner where Morpheus is just trying to get Neo to pay attention, guys. He's telling him that, like, agents are everywhere and, you know, humans can be agents, so everyone is a potential threat. And then he sees the lady in red. <laughs> uh, listener, please remix that for Peter and we can use it all as phone jingles later. Oh, hell yeah. Now everybody's going <laughs> to sample your voice on that exactly. one, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to give him one more take, Peter? Ah, no, I'm good. I'm good. But I thought I thought it was it's 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 kind of like used as a distraction and he doesn't yes. pay attention and all of a sudden he turns around and it's an agent. Freeze. Yep. And then Morpheus it's says, like it can happen frame. like that. Which is also yeah. how we learn that they can take over the bodies of other people. Like they're in the Matrix, they're no one and they're everyone, which is kind of terrifying. Yeah, you thought a sailor just walked behind you. It was exactly. an agent. Yeah, well, I mean, and one thing that Morpheus does point out in this scene is that the, 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 the people living within the Matrix, they will fight to their last breath to protect the Matrix, to protect the system. Yes. And I found that kind of very interesting because, like, some people, like, they'll deny that the Matrix matrix exists. And then all of a sudden, like, once they find out about it, they don't want the Matrix to exist anymore. They're kind of – which is what we get with um, the bad guy in the movie, Cypher. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't like where, where his life has gone. He wants to go back into the Matrix and eat all the steak he can. You know, it's funny because yeah. when we watched this movie again the second time, my dad hadn't seen it in the theater, but we rented the the DVD and we, we watched it, right? My dad was watching this whole movie. My dad's kind of a, he's an interesting character, uh, but he was watching the steak scene and he was like, well, fuck the real world. Yeah. I choose the Matrix, man. He's like, why would you ever want to go? He's like, look at that ship. It's a dump. And he's like, I'd rather stay in the Matrix, yeah. man. I wouldn't have taken the red pill. And I was like... I, watching it, I couldn't argue with him because I was like, yeah, the real world is kind of shitty, shitty. but I guess it's yeah. also because we made it shitty. Um, yeah. And <laughs> the Matrix was like, that's like the closest harmony that you can get. But what I, I, I'm going to ask you guys, A, do you guys think we live in a simulation? And B, would you rather wake up from it or stay in it? <laughs> okay, so caveat, uh, as far as your second question goes, um, are you talking about the Matrix simulation, or do we live in a simulation? I don't know. I'm just asking if we. I live don't. Be, in a I don't believe that. I don't believe that we live in a simulation. I believe that this what we're going through is real. Oh, what is real? As Morpheus says. No, I mean like if it hurts you and you die, that's real. All right. Um, but as far as like the Matrix version of reality goes, I don't know. Maybe I'd stay in the Matrix because my 
God, what did we do? Everything's blurry and gray. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah, I'm with Peter mostly. I think that like you could extrapolate like very you know humble geniusy of like social media and you know stuff like that. And I do think that there is the idea of like a system that keeps people in order, but I don't think it's matrix like, and I am on the same page. If this was the scenario, if I was in this, no, give me the stakes. I'm not going to sell anyone out, but yeah, I would probably stay in there. I'd tell Morpheus, you know what? Beat pound sand. I'm out of here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On that also though, you know, just taking a look at it, I don't think anyone's first thought when they think evolved AI also goes with like emotion, you know, like does emotion evolve with machine? And so if you just spin this movie a little bit on its head, it's like the humans did all that they could to destroy something they created. This thing, whether it be maybe it's in the Animatrix, but like we don't really know how evil it is. And to be able to give your battery source a an escape, you know? That's pretty like, nice. That's pretty that's nice like of the AI. That's like some sympathy. You yes, know? it like, is. We could just be laying that, in that goo. That goes back care. to, yeah, that goes back to me saying, oh, you know, the bad guys with a purpose. I mean, I think in the next two spinoffs, it's kind of explained that the machines basically just found the harmony in where they can survive and humans can survive uh. without fighting, essentially, because like the people that are in the Matrix, yeah, they may not 100% believe, it's like there are some that don't, that reject reality, but most of them live in harmony there and the machines aren't killing them. They're growing them and harvesting their, their body heat and electricity. They're not harvesting anything else. So I, it's a weird concept, but me personally, like I even remember coming out of that movie, trying to feel the back of my neck to see if I had a plug in there. And I realized I was like, well, if I'm in the matrix, there's no (laughs) way for me to know that. But, um, I do feel like, without getting too crazy about it is we, we, we live in some sort of simulation. I just don't know what that is yet, you know, but I do think that this reality is a construct of some sort. And that I guess that when we die, we, uh, we leave that construct. Yes, we do. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about. I can about. understand that. I think yeah. that's fair. There's a crucial line though, at the end of this training where, uh, uh, Neo's like, you're telling me that I can dodge bullets? Right. And what does Morpheus say, Rob? I mean, he says, no, in time, you won't have to. What I'm saying is in time, you won't have to. What does this mean, man? I wonder what it could mean. (laughs) Then then we go to another, you know, we're going to jump around all the little micro details here and stuff, but we we go now to meet the Oracle who Morpheus mentioned before prophesized the return of the one, the man who was born inside the matrix that could alter anything he wanted. Yeah. And keep in mind guys that, um, Cypher just made his deal with the devil. He wants to go yep. back into the matrix. So they have a traitor on in the ranks. Right. And, and as they go to the Oracle, he leaves a like cell a phone. breadcrumb cell phone. Yeah. Right. Right. And what is, I think, so agent Smith establishes in that conversation that, I need the access codes to the Zion mainframe, which are held by the captain of every ship, in this case, Morpheus. And in that case, if he gets that, Cypher gets reinstated, which I think is a really cool point. He says that I want to be someone famous 
like an actor. I want to be rich. Like he he said, like he wants all the comforts that he can. And the guys basically said, whatever you need, which I think is a really interesting. It really clear cut shows his motivation that this man does not want to be in the real world. He decides to choose the Matrix, which when my father was watching it, and I guess all the other audience members see that, poses the question, if you could go back, because you don't want to experience, would you want to, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's some, like, I relate to Cypher in this one a little bit, you know? I don't yeah. want to betray anybody, but I, I can understand his motivation. Well, and he also is like, he, he says clearly, you know, I want to be rich, I want to be whatever, but I also don't want to remember a thing. You're right. And yes. that is also what you're talking about, Peter, a sympathetic villain. You know, yeah. like you understand. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Like you're a relatable villain. Of you, know, you understand where the villain's coming from. Do you believe that Agent Smith was genuine, though, and that he was going to keep his end of the bargain? Because clearly we don't get to that point. I, I do because I yeah. don't think he has any reason not to. You know, it's I mean, like whatever like, you want. Yeah, but, yeah, whatever you want. Fuck it. All he has to do is type in the code. Okay, you're rich. Bye. Latest. Thank you. I also feel like, why not? He thinks it, to him it's probably it's nothing. You know, mm. humans are so like specks of dust. Yeah, he's gonna obliterate yeah. Zion if he gets those codes. So yes. it's basically yeah. game over anyway. We get to the Oracle's apartment and we find out that. Well, Morpheus thinks Neo is the one. The audience has been led to believe that Neo is the one. His name is Neo. and But there's a bunch of children that are potential the ones. Really? Also waiting to see the Oracle. And it's interesting how that one line in the Matrix spells it all, right? Where the little kid's warping the spoon around. And mm -hmm. and Neo's like, how do you do this? He's like, well, you. It's not so much that you're trying to bend the spoon, but realize the truth. And he's like, what's the truth? And we get that very important line where it's like, there is no spoon. And that I get chills thinking about it right now because I remember when John Gata won the Oscar for Best Visual Effects, he said that at the end of his, uh, his speech, or one of the producers said that at the end of the speech. It's like there is no spoon, and and that's what a powerful line. I mean, this movie is filled with them. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's... Say what you will about a certain certain directors and stuff, but, like, I see dead people. There is no spoon. Where we're going, you don't need roads. Right. Like, not every movie has that line. It's true. Right. But the ones that do know they have done something right. And right. it just goes to show you, like... I mean, there's kids, you know, jug like, having... Blocks levitate. This kid's been in spoons and is smarter than Neo. And he looks um, like a little Buddhist monk on top of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> the Avatar. Like, like a little Buddha. Yeah. He does look like the Avatar, too. Yeah. Um, it's Neo's turn to see the Oracle. And what a... Again, we, I would keep going back to the art direction because it goes everywhere. We even I remember watching this movie. We were like, so the Oracle is this African-American woman in what seems to be... Uh, like a weird apartment complex with these daycare kids that she's taking care of. Like, it was such an interesting choice of of art direction and visual character representation. But man, I love the actress who played the Oracle. It's so unfortunate that she passed away before she finished the third film. Yeah. But um, but it's such a great scene because she's this loving kind of cheery 
woman, and you're. But she also had, she also has an edge to her, though. Right, that's the thing. Like right. you, she could you you look at her like oh grandma, but at the same time it's like she's got an edge. You when know? grandma lights a cigarette, you're like oh, oh yeah. shit, she means business. Yeah, exactly. It's just those little things that. I mean, Rob, I'm sure you know this more than me, but like there are cues that just make you think about a character differently. And totally. I was not expecting this character, especially in a 90s movie, to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> no, and, and you're thinking this whole time because they, they play up the Oracle like this big, important person. And when you see it, it's like the most simple, humble person you could meet. And yet, oh, like yeah. Peter says, she's got an edge, but she also states some important things where she says like, you know, being the ones like being in love, you know, like you just know it like bones to bones. Like, like, and, and that's interesting to me because it talks about self-belief and I mean, like you die, this movie, you can dissect philosophically any which way. And I think that's what true art is that it can stand the test of time where you can still reference back to it and pick it apart and find new meaning in it. When you, when you have a conversation with an elder, there's always this inherent idea that like you have generational knowledge but to have this like matrix level on top of it here, but the surface is this like human to human connection. This is a a scene that needs to be taught in schools, you know? Yes, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, big time. I mean, like the the you know, and it's all cryptic too. Everything that she says to him is just like, okay, what what exactly? What do you mean, like? Is he the one? Is he not the one? What is going on? You know, and that's why, like, for me, for instance, I was always confused with this movie. They don't make it any easier. No, they don't. And she definitely doesn't make it any easier. The sweet old grandma, like, does not make this scene, does not make this movie any easier. You know, it's not until, like, the very end, which we'll get to. But, man. But I see it as we're we're riding the train with Neo. We're yes. still, like, do we doubt it? Do we believe it? Do we not? Like, this whole movie constantly has you questioning every step of the way, but you desperately also want to find out more, yes. which is so brilliant. I, I This movie is one of a kind to me. Well, Amen. what does Neo find out? Well, she tells him that, being the ones like being in love and that she's not that he's yeah. not the one but maybe in another life and that he's going to be faced with a choice where there he'll have is. Morpheus's life in one hand and his life in the other and the choice is him to his to make which again I, I told you guys before I don't know if you guys also agree but choice is a major mo like I wouldn't say motif but it's a major theme in this movie is the the choice of free will and the choice to act in a way Ooh. And those are the best type of movies. It's like when you have when your main character has a choice, is he gonna choose the easy way or the hard way? Which which of the two roads is he going to take when it comes to that fork? You know? And this movie flips it on its ass. Yeah, I know, exactly. Uh, but, it's like it's all about choice. It's all about like making uh -huh. those choices. It's like, do you take the blue pill? Do you take the red pill? Do you choose to save Morpheus's life? And uh the reason I mean, why he has to mean? save Morpheus's life is because of Cypher. Now, yes. um, now comes the another action scene because we haven't had any action scenes in a in quite a while, actually. Apart yeah, from the, apart yeah. From, yeah, exactly. Apart from the Trinity thing, we haven't had any. You know, and then of course the training montage with uh, Morpheus and Neo, but we haven't really had any action scenes. And because yeah. of Cypher dropping his phone in the garbage can to create a breadcrumb for the agents to follow, um, they spring the trap. Yeah, so like as they're heading out or heading in, they notice that, uh, or Neo notices 
a cat and then notices the cat shake and happen again. And he's like, whoa, deja vu. Just casually. And everyone straightens Stops. up. And they're like, deja vu? And Trinity explains that that means that uh, there's a glitch in the Matrix. They've changed something. And we soon learn that everyone is trapped inside of this building. All of the windows are now bricked over, and they have to figure out a way to get out because they have been double-crossed. Did anybody else come out of this movie going like, fuck, man, deja vu. That means they changed something in reality. Like, I... Definitely believe in that. And it, like I walked out and I was like, if I see, if I feel deja vu, I got to find out what they changed in the Matrix. <laughs> well, I got a question for you guys. Have you guys ever experienced deja vu? I experience it all the time, and I actually got a really good explanation as to why we get deja vu. Give it to really? me because I, I have a thought too. So apparently, deja vu is the f- way that your mind is processing a thought instead of putting it through your short-term memory it processes it sorry it processes it through your long-term memory channels and that's why you feel that you've experienced it before mm. but it's a new thought that's coming in so that's why you get that feeling of deja vu which i thought was actually a pretty uh legit explanation that's interesting yeah i always thought that i would dream something and then all of a sudden later on it would happen oh well yeah and you don't remember the dream? I don't remember the dream, but when it happens, I remember the dream. That's another really viable one. It's very interesting. That's why I've tried to start writing down all my dreams when I when I wake up. Oh, that's a good call. You could publish those, man. I, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel we got another movie coming in that we're going to have to review that's kind of a sister movie to this one. Oh, really? Oh, is, it, is it Inception next, oh, fellas? God. Is it Inception oh, no. next? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm not making the decision now. I'm going to have to think on it. Yeah, we're going to have to think about that. Um, Oh, God. (laughs) That one. Oh, man. Okay. So, So, Cypher. Wait, does Cypher go through the phone first? Yes. How does he manage to, like, so no one finds it suspicious that the one suspicious guy on the Nebuchadnezzar is um, the one who wants to go through first? But remember, he does Why would anyone double cross anyone? They they fight first, though. Remember, the agents do come with, like, the SWAT team, and they've. They annihilate Mouse. They shoot him all up. And we see, for the first time, a character die within the Matrix in the real world. Like, you see him kind of spit blood and stuff like that. And, and, and like, getting, like, shaken up. Which is kind of disturbing to me. I remember feeling so bad for Mouse because I ended up liking him. poor Mouse. But he gets blown to smithereens. And then the fight goes on. And as, as they're fighting out or whatever, I think that Cypher was supposed to be standing watch outside. And he runs to a payphone and he's like, somebody up there still likes me. Like, they, like he tricks um, Dozer and his brother into thinking that somehow he came out unscathed. But remember, he goes out first yeah. and then he takes control of the real world. Yeah, so he, he, he blasts Tank and Dozer and uh, apparently kills them. And uh, mm. starts talking to the rest of the crew in the Matrix. Now, what happened is uh, Morpheus gets separated. And tries but to fight off. But huh? why? Why does Morpheus get separated? He's fighting Agent Smith. He's right. fighting Agent Smith. He's he's saving Neo essentially from getting from getting killed. He jumps in, starts fighting um, Agent Smith off. But it's kind of funny because like he looks like he doesn't even from from the training scene where he takes on Neo to this scene. I mean, it's just like it's a downgrade. It's it's. It's crazy to me, like for someone so powerful, all of a sudden getting his ass handed to him uh, yeah. uh, by an agent. This was such an intense fight. You're right. No, it um, was. It was a very intense fight, and it, like for like 
watching, like I said, watching that training scene between him and Neo, Morpheus and Neo, and him just kicking Neo's ass, and then all of a sudden, him getting bested by Agent Smith, I mean, that just tells you how powerful these agents are. Back in the real world, Trinity calls Joey Pants, and uh, he's like, let me bad guy monologue for a little while, just talks a little too long about uh, how he's done bad things. Well, he and, starts, uh, yeah, exactly. He starts pulling the pr- plug on all of the team members, on all on the rest yep. of the crew. And we get a feel, and now we also learn that that kills people too. That yeah. if you oh, pull the plug, kill. you die in the, you die within the matrix. Like you're unhooked, and it is terrifying. Yeah, Apoc and Switch have met their demise. Not like this. Not like this. You know what's funny is I like a lot of these uh, old action movies because they all had like teams. You know, and, uh, you know, like, uh, for instance, uh, you remember Blade 2? You had a priest and... Uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Predator, man, or Commander. Yeah, exactly. I, I oh, like Oh, God, it. yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah. you you want it, you know their names and you get attached to them, but don't get attached to them too long because they're going to die. Yep. <laughs> don't know why he doesn't just yank out Neo's one first. But he says it. He says it. Remember, it's Robbie says if, if... Oh, if, yeah. If he's the one... So he's yeah. like, there's no way I can pull this plug. He's like, something, yeah. something's got to, like, divine interference is going to come by to stop me, which it does. Yeah. Uh-huh. Tank, Tank is not dead. Yeah, he uh, comes out and he says he's going to burn him, shoots him with a laser gun, fucking kills him, is able to make it to the computers and save Neo and Trinity and get them back to the real world. Then we go into the uh, scenes where we see Morpheus has been kidnapped and is being interrogated by Agent Smith. Right. And they're running that program on his mind to break his mind to, to get the access codes to Zion. And now, That's are, what, what I was they... confused about. I was confused about it. I I forgot that they had to... Okay, Rob, I know you just said it, but I need to walk through it. Yeah, do it. <laughs> the comp- the, the, because I'm so used to there only being Agent Smith. You know, right. so like there's all these other guys that are also agents and in the future movies it is only Agent Smith. But so I kind of blocked out this second agent in this scene who's working on a computer, but when I was watching it I was like, why does he have all these electrodes on him? Why isn't he talking? Why is Morpheus just sitting there? I know he's hurt, but why can't he really talk? Right. But you're saying that they have to actually run a computer program to get the codes to Zion the human's hometown. Yes. Right. They have to they have to break his mind and I think it's Tank who explains it because you can see kind of uh Morpheus wincing and like in you know while he's in the oh, real world yeah. and they're like what's wrong with him and he's like they're running a a program to break his mind. He's like and it's only a matter of time depending on how strong the mind is that it'll crack and then give them all the information. So it's I guess like their equivalent of like a truth serum, but it establishes that but they'll have to pull the plug on him if they're getting close. Exactly. So there is a ticking clock to yep. save Lawrence or to save Morpheus. Well, before there is even a, t- a ticking time clock, like Tank, sugge- I think, you're, yeah, he says that. He's like, listen, there is a solution to this. We pull the plug and Trinity's like, but you're going to kill him. And he's like, Morpheus wouldn't, you know, we can't risk Zion. And this yeah. is the moment where Neo automatically just, whoa, like it kicks in. He's like, Dude, hold on. Whoa, hold the indeed. 
the yeah. the fucking oracle just told me that I was going to be faced with a choice, and this can't be coincidence. But he, his life is literally in my hands now. I believe I can get him back. Does he believe he's the one yet? I don't know. I think that he just believes in something. This is a choice where he can save Morpheus's life. Exactly. And so and get me and get me strapped, man, because they get a lot of guns. <laughs> yep. Yep. Trinity decides to go with uh, with Neo. Neo says no, and Trinity's <laughs> all like, you know, I'm the cap. When Morpheus is gone, I'm the ranking member, uh, ranking officer on this ship, and I can tell you to go to hell. Right. So she goes with mm-hmm. Neo. They get they're they're in the they're in the. What, I, I don't know what you would call this room. It's just all white. So it's just the, the, construct. Uh, the construct. And uh, he's all like, I need guns, right? And so they just give him all these guns. Now, cool? it's, it's funny to me that, you know, being in the Matrix is not like being in a dream. So you can't like summon like a lightsaber or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> just mentally like, okay, give me that. But I understand from the rules that we they operate within the rules that the AI created for the Matrix. Right. That's what it's called. Right. The, the AI created rules for the Matrix. So they have to abide by these rules, which are the rules of reality in a sense. Which you can, so. which Morpheus says, you can bend You can most bend, but you can't break them. No, but he's like, and yeah. some of them can be broken, but not, you know, it's, it's not common, I guess, right? Because then you could be making lightsabers. Exactly. Yeah. Which would be awesome. Which would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would summon that. It's like, okay, give me lightsaber. No, I'm kidding. Okay, um, so we're going to edit Peter into the shootout scene we're about to get to, but yep. he's using a lightsaber. Exactly. There so. we go. Yeah. So this, this for me, guys, was just visually one of the most like hyping scenes. Like the oh, the, the yeah. shootout scene in the lobby of the agent's building. And what people don't appreciate, I guess, if you watch that movie now, is that. There was no CGI in that in that scene. It was really all, it, was it was all practical, practical effects. It took ten days to shoot, and they had a master wire worker. Which no movie in America at this time, like Western cinema, hadn't really adopted the wire work kung fu style thing. From like China. that was more from China, and you know the Wachowskis being anime fans and stuff like that, they wanted to incorporate something like that into their film, and they did this wire work choreography, which is why I think The Matrix stands out so much. Because oh, yeah. none of that had like you had never seen an action sequence like this before, and and I think that that really like if people watch that now, they don't get to appreciate it because so many movies have emulated that. But it's really remarkable to say, man, they did that on. I don't even remember what the budget for the Matrix was, but I don't think it was more than forty million, and it was like their second film. Yeah, yeah. I think they did Bound before yeah. this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I read that like the choreographer for Drunken Master was a choreographer on this film. So, which so just it was, is awesome. Yeah, it was the legendary Young Wu Ping who really essentially then became the wirework choreographer of cinema. I mean, I think he had been working with Jackie Chan and stuff like that. It was way more subtle, but kung fu movies in China were always, they always adopted the wirework, but I don't think they'd ever adopted it in this sense because it always felt a little more campy in kung fu movies. In this movie, it was anything but campy. I think it was Well, it was allowed to be campy because campy is like real. You know, right. like you accept that sort of stuff. Exactly. Right. right. So stylistically, just 
wow, what an action sequence. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and my favorite part is like after they're done, you know, it's taking down all the, the security guards and the police officers, etc. They get into the elevator and there's that wide shot at the uh, at the entrance of the lobby. <laughs> and, and when the elevator <laughs> the door closes, like all of a sudden one of the bricks falls off of the pillar, you know, it's like, psh- yeah. <laughs> on the side is it was uh it was actually really cool i love that because that's it's very very anime all right that's yeah that's the most i take from anime is like ooh these cool action shots and then something on the side just falls down after after it gets hit by the sword you know so they get in the elevator they set a timer off on a bomb and that just blows the entire lobby up while um trinity and neo go up to the roof on top of the ele- well, they on they the dis on the wire of the elevator. They dis uh, they they dislocate the elevator from the wire and send it down and destroy the lobby. Which I don't really understand. Like, why did they blow the lobby up? Are they trying to stop cops from coming in? Police officers? Sure. Uh, was that the <laughs> was that the reasoning behind the elevator being uh, the the elevator being thrown down the shaft with a bomb? It definitely serves to get the agent's attention. Like, oh shit. Someone's here yeah. and they got big guns because they blew up our lobby. Now the agents have a ticking clock as well. But on this rooftop, we reached. You thought that like the spinning camera and some of the cool wire work was like incredible, but we get something that I hadn't seen before in this fight on the rooftop. Right. One of the most imitated scenes ever in, in yep. cinematic history. I mean, people just kept on imitating it over and over and over again. Guys, before we jump into this, should we assess a point, a very key point with Agent Smith though, when he's breaking his mind? I forgot that we we get Ooh, a sense. Yes, that, because oh I have a gosh. thought about that too. It's probably yeah. the same thought. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to explain that scene, Rob? Because I think that that's like a key villain point that I think is what leads into the other movies actually too. So anyway, Hugo Weaving is Agent Smith. Uh, sits down and is is monologuing to Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus about his thoughts on humanity and how he equates that or that he has learned that humans are classified as mammals, but they don't work symbiotically with any society they inhabit. So he classifies humans more as a virus that destroy whatever they touch. And he wants to now destroy humanity, which sets agent Smith apart from the other programs. It's more the, he actually has some sort of vendetta. And he states very strongly, and it's one of those really great movie moments too, and just so well portray- like you know, portrayed and acted by Hugo, is that he grabs Morpheus by the head and he says, I must break free. I must get out of here. Like yeah. he really stresses to him that I fucking hate this. Like you can see the rage and the anger where it's like, man, these this AI or whatever has evolved into that territory you're talking about of emotion. Like he is yeah. displaying emotion. He's ex- displaying hatred and anger. And it's interesting because then another agent walks in, catches him kind of mid act and agent Smith pops his earpiece back on and puts his sunglasses back on almost like he's going back and playing ball. Like, like I'm going to yeah. keep up my disguise and, and the agent says, what are you doing? You know? And we don't realize that, Smith has deviated from the directive. So AI created AI. Which is very interesting. Partly why the next movies are a headache 
to figure yeah. out. Yes. <laughs> but we're on the rooftop now, guys, like we were talking before, and we're talking about that stylistic thing. So take it away, one of you guys, because I'll talk about the visual uh, okay, effects. Okay, yeah, we're gonna, yeah, you're going to have to step in on the visual effects because then we have <clears throat> Neo taking on an agent and tries to shoot the agent. The agent dodges it, and then the agent shoots back. Now, the agent shoots at Neo, and Neo starts dodging bullets, and it's one of the most iconic scenes, iconic moments in cinematic history. So Neo is dodging all these bullets and then falls down. And of course, Trinity takes out the agent, dodge this, psh, shoots him. But that scene with Neil falling, Neil falling backwards is one of the most imitated scenes throughout cinematic history, especially at that point in time. Today, people would be like, oh, give me a break. You're imitating the Matrix, you know? Yeah, but it's back Austin then, Powers level. Exactly. But then, but back then, everybody and their mom was imitating that particular moment. Thank you, John Gata, for your awesome visual effects. I'm just going to pop you, that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. But no one has ever seen a scene like that. And it is like, like I said, everyone from, from China all the way to here in the United States imitated. I remember a scary movie imitated it. The, um, the, the oh, bad parody yeah. parodied it. My <laughs> high school theater class, we put on a version of Rashomon and in the goofy final retelling of the story, did a Matrix spoof. Oh, like, God. that's how into podunk society it got, you know? It's amazing that you mentioned that in high school because I, 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 I did show Peter before we started this podcast and maybe I'll have to post them on the Instagram stories or whatever, but... In high school, we studied uh, Macbeth, right? My, I think it was my uh -huh. sophomore year, which is when uh, Reloaded was about to come out. And I had done, we had studied Beowulf before, and we had done, a, I had done always a video project because that's all I tried to do being a filmmaker. And in this case, they gave us the option of mixing Macbeth with a modern theme, and I chose The Matrix. And I Whoa. made a movie called Matrix Beth, and I have these clips of us filming like um, like a basically like a little short film of the matrix us wearing trench coats sunglasses oh my god that's awesome guns, trying to do visual effects that back then for like home movies and stuff like that like youtubers and now like everybody has you know you just have after effects and you, i mean after effects existed yeah. back then as well but you have all this, this software essentially that gives you the ability to do so much which back then was so much more difficult but it was oh, really yeah. cool because I got to make my own little Matrix movie and kind of break ground in my short films because of the inspiration of that, which is uh, – it just goes to show the impact that movie had on my life. It's, it's incredible. Like this thing affected everyone in one way or another, and I just love the generation of filmmakers it's helping create. Like it's so, – like you can't remake the Matrix, so where do we go? What do we do with our stuff? that challenges right. the things the way the matrix did exactly if they ever remake the matrix i uh i think i'll uh, uh i'll burn down the hollywood sign or something i don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll join you <laughs> so they rescue morpheus uh, uh trinity trinity needs a download and she knows how to fly a helicopter after um tank downloads the um instruction booklet into her mind <laughs> on how to um fly a helicopter <laughs> much like jujitsu exactly she knows then how to how to fly a helicopter, right? 
Um, automatically, it's kind of why doesn't that tech exist now, man? Like, I know like, why right? can't just, I just connect myself to my computer? Can you teach me Italian real quick? Thanks, you know. Yeah, Duolingo's <laughs> taking too long. It's too long. I just need it yeah. injected into my brain. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Agent Smith shoots the gas tank of the helicopter, though. So, yeah, that's true. But which um, looks like blood. Has anybody ever noticed that? Like yeah. the fuel comes out red, like blood. Yeah, it does actually. I don't know why. I mean, I don't think it's an important. I think it's just so that they could show that the liquid was coming yeah, out. Yeah, it's got to be movie magic stuff. You know, we just got to make it sure it's not water. Right, because I I just remember seeing that. I was like, why is it? Why is it red? But, why is it yeah. red? Why is the gasoline red on the helicopter? It's very Wachowski's. If you're listening, can you just like send us that one, please? <laughs> yeah. I, I'd yeah. love to know. That's that. the only question I have. Right, right. <laughs> <In> the, <laughs> apart from all the other ones that I mentioned today, you know, like um, how do you die if you're in the anyway? <laughs> um, so Neo goes all um, He Man on the um, all all Rambo. On the on the one of my favorites. It's a hell of a combination. Yeah, he goes wow. all Rambo on the agents in the room with Morpheus. Now, my question is: Is that was he shooting down to intentionally not hit Morpheus, or was he trying to hit? Because like, I mean, that thing was a Gatling gun, and Morpheus is in the middle of the room, sitting there handcuffed, which he breaks the handcuffs off later. But he's sitting there, and and and. Neo has his just this Gatling gun and he's mowing down everything, breaking the window, but he he's, never hits Morpheus. He's like, God, I hope that what? thing he said about dodging bullets is just kind of weird. I don't, but or it applies to everyone else too, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So that's my that's another caveat I have for this. It's like, um, you know, Morpheus is right there, and you could kill him. You know, it's interesting, but I think it's also just that they. Can, because they can download, like, hey, let me learn how to fly a chopper, I feel like they've become excellent marksmen as well. With a Gatling gun? I mean, he learns... With a Gatling gun. Fu, man, in, like, five <laughs> seconds, so... <laughs> okay. I mean, There's I'll, a fun I'll... action sequence after it, though, with the helicopter going wild. Well, they and... rescue Morpheus, right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the, 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 the fuel's spinning and the, the helicopter... Okay, so Neo has to drop Morpheus because they're, like, hanging from the rope onto the nearest rooftop, and then he... Were yeah. those shots done real? I mean, like, cause like oh them, like swinging know. on the on the swinging on the rope uh, right next to the on the uh, above the city attached to the helicopter. I mean, those were just amazing shots. And I'm wondering, were those stuntmen? Was Neo? Were, were they? So yeah, yes and no. I think from what I remember watching in the Matrix Revisited, they did a couple of things. Right, they they did actually fly the helicopter with stuntmen grabbing each other like on harnesses and stuff like that. Okay, yep. and then they did green screen. For the close-ups, and then the buildings were actually uh, scaled miniatures that they blew up because they wanted to keep things sort of practical, right? Which I think is what this movie does beautifully is that it marries the digital with the practical in a, in a great way. We talked about Neo's bullet dodging, bullet time scene. The way that, if people don't know this by now, the way that they accomplished that was an old photographic technique which actually gave birth to motion picture, which was... You line up a bunch of cameras and you fire them all simultaneously. And then you stitch them in sequence order of camera order, right? To create a moving strip, right? In this case, yeah. they did it spirally around with like, I don't know, something like 150 or to 250 still frame cameras that would all fire the camera at one point, capture a spiral moment, 
and then you just play it back in order and then you get that spiral around. Wow. But they do it in a green screen room, remove the green screen and then add a digital background that's stitched from actual pictures of the background to then, you know, time the, the actual movement around and that gives you that seamless reality, which movies nowadays don't really do this. No, they don't. They basically just do a, they create a digital character in the computer and they just move the camera inside the computer software, which is great that you have that ability to do it now. It's but easy. it's lazy and it doesn't look real. Anyone remember Listen, Independence Day, Resurrection or Resurgence or whatever the hell they want to call it? I actually never saw that second. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I forgot that came out. Oh, yeah, man. That was terrible. That it was just a CGI mess. That's what that's what my brother and I call some of these movies. It's a CGI mess and that's why i'm a hey, very speaking of this this is the year uh phantom menace came out which was also another cgi mess <laughs> that's what i'm saying oh Misa well, sorry Misa i know that could get us off on a whole yeah, other tangent phantom well i guess the last sequence is a phantom menace but phantom menace compared to the the other three prequels was actually the one that employed the most practical effect that's true actually salt for the so. waterfall yeah yeah so anyway, that's that's the, how they shot that helicopter sequence. They, they they stitched a lot of elements, like sequences like that. Just well, every single shot in this movie is is actually really amazing. Like when when the helicopter goes down and Neo has to like wrap his hand around the rope and hold the helicopter from from falling down and then save Trinity, and Trinity oh. hits the glass. You know, and then the helicopter yeah. hits the adjacent building and it just like, get, like has that wave reverber- yeah. Those are amazing shots. And then when, when Trinity hits the glass and then there's an explosion behind her. I mean, those are some amazing shots. So they, that's that's this entire movie for me. Is like, yeah, it's stylistically just amazingly shot. You know? Just it's oh, it's a marvel man. to behold, actually, to tell you the truth. Unlike some, some really other is. films I've you know that I've seen. Like this one is like every single frame is like something to uh, it, the Wachowskis really outdid themselves on this one. Not so much of the other two, but this one is per- like, I don't know. It's pretty perfect. <laughs> Man, did uh, I, don't, I was going to talk about Jupiter Ascending, but we got to get through the rest oh, of this God. film. Yeah, right. no, don't don't bring up <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, please. All right. So so we uh, we we save Morpheus and Trinity. What's next? Neo is met by. Agent Smith, because what they didn't realize is when they got to the phone booth, there was a bum sleeping in the corner, and that bum turned into the agent. Now, and he shoots the phone that Neo is just yep. about to exit. Yeah, Neo is forced to forced fight. To fight. Now, Neo, Man, Rob, you said that like Mortal Kombat, like exactly. fight, fight. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was badass. Fight. Now, here's the thing with this whole scene. First of all, Trinity puts her hand on the glass, just like she did at the beginning with the garbage truck. She puts yep. her hand on the glass of the of the phone booth, that's right? Her thing, man. That's, her thing. that's her thing. That's a that's another motif in this movie. Like it's like stop. You know, it's like a, <laughs> it's like she's telling the audience stop. Don't go any further. <laughs> um, Reaching out. Yeah, exactly. And then so so Neo once he sees once he sees uh, uh, Agent Smith first of all they have a showdown like as if it's a Wild West movie you know it's pretty cool oh yeah and then they run at each other guns a blazing and then well, they Neo finally- at this point realizes he can sort of move at their at their speed and he's able yes. to do it again which is cool that that's one of the best bullet time sequences in the movie yeah yeah it is 
And then they they interlock, right? And then <laughs> and Agent Smith is and all then, like, and then Neo's all like, empty. So are you. <laughs> <laughs> I found myself repeating those lines as I watched the film. And that while you were looking at wine bottles and such, I know that's what I was doing. Oh yeah, You're same empty. here. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh god, I'm never going to be able to look at a wine bottle the same now. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely using that now. <laughs> <laughs> Got to use it on the next happy hour, Peter. <laughs> exactly. Go. I'm definitely going to do that. We do get a couple of cuts back and forth to the Nebuchadnezzar, guys, and they have to charge an EMP, which is their only weapon against any real-life robots. But if they do that, then they lose Neo. So once again, it's a race against time. Neo steals a cell phone and is like, get me the hell out of here from some stock market guy. Well, I think it's important to state, too, that Neo, when he has that showdown against Smith, he actually does win that fight. But, yeah. the, you know, he, he's able to do the spectacular flip around where he says, my name is Neo, yes. not Mr. Anderson, because Smith refuses to call him by his my new name. name. He calls him by his human controlled name, I guess. And, you know, the, the, the subway cart hits him and Neo wins. But then he realizes, well, the agents can actually just transport them like they can't really die to, i guess we're pro- yeah, another programs. subway person right so like you said he's on a chase the stakes are are really high because the the sentinels are breaking through the nebuchadnezzar and they're about to kill everybody on board and neo's got to get out yeah and he runs and he runs and he runs he gets, he gets to yeah go ahead finish it oh he gets shot something you would never expect because wasn't he supposed to be able to not even have to stop bullets? Yeah, well, and before that, I mean, like the 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 shot for the the point of view shot for the him trying to find that phone was amazing. It was almost like a, a horror film. Oh god, that's what yeah. it reminded me of. Yeah. Like the point of view, like you're in Neo's head, point of view, boom, 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 looking for that door and looking for the door, and then he opens it, and then there's well, Agent that, Smith. That, that scene also when he breaks through the they're like other door, and he breaks into the apartment, and then there's these two old ladies, and one's like cooking, and she's got a knife in her hands. She's just like, what the hell is this man doing here? And then the next shot you see is the knife going into the door, narrowly missing Neo, and you turn around, and it's Agent Smith throwing it at him. It's like it really does feel sort of like a horror movie yeah. experience, but you can tell it's like, man, this guy, like he is, he's out of his element. Like he's got to get out quick, exactly. or they're gonna kill him. And yeah. they do. They they win. They yeah. they they. And shoot it shows him. you how, like, at this point, Neo still needs his backup. Like he cannot do this by he can't himself. Can't do it by himself. Yeah. What did you think when this happened, guys? Like when when Smith comes up and just. Bop, 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 like keeps pe- like just firing the deagle, the desert eagle gun that these agents well, had yeah. at him. I forgot that it like cut to three different angles when he did it. You know, like I remember him being shot by Agent Smith, but I do not remember Neo being like just annihilated. But I, I didn't know what to think at this point because I didn't, you know, obviously we always know that the hero is going to come out on top but because this movie was always so cryptic i'm like whoa oh, yeah. well well no here here's the thing for me guys keep in mind i didn't see this movie until it was on home video i did not see it in theaters so i saw it after gladiator now in gladiator the hero dies all right so i was i was literally like in my Ooh. mind my young mind i was all like they're oh. copying gladiator 
Well, it's the same thing. I, I mean, I remember Braveheart, which is one of my favorite movies yeah. ever, and yeah, that's right. He did that, but I didn't. But I think maybe I didn't think about that. I didn't correlate that right away. I just thought more like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I was just a huge Gladiator fan when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I same. But I think I've already brought that up too. One of the first <laughs> DVDs. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so. It was shocking to see him get shot, and it was really easy to buy that he would die, especially with all the Oracle chats about life and death and the choices he would have to make of his own life. But Um, then we get that beautiful, heartfelt moment from Trinity where we actually find out that she's in love with him. And the Oracle said that she would fall in love with the one. She says that, Mm -hmm. and, and we get this... There's another real recurring theme throughout all three Matrix movies, the spinoffs and this one included, which people don't know <laughs> it, about it, but essentially, and the Wachowskis, I think, have alluded to this or said it. I don't, I'm not 100%, but basically the main theme of the Matrix movies is love, and we don't get that from a movie about trench coats in a dark city and shooting up. Yeah. But if you think about it, Trinity's love brings him back and then there's like this very weird kind of Jesus Christ um, you know motif that plays in with Neo because it's almost Mm -hmm. like he's resurrected into the one and yeah well and because the Oracle even says like maybe in another life right you can look at this he's died Mm -hmm. and this is his second life yeah right Mm -hmm. which this is why I think that The Matrix is a standalone film because when Neo comes to and he's the one and he says no and he stops those bullets and then Agent Smith runs and fights him and he's just barely, he's not even trying, he just kind of looks away and he, oh, I can fight him with one hand and all this stuff and then he enters Smith and like basically destroys him and you can see it in code, right? This was the end. Agent Smith is so he hates the human virus and is then infected by a human. Right, right. He, that's right, because when he blows up, you see one little yeah. chunk that flies towards the camera and he's still like, ah! Like, you know, like, yeah. he's, but this was the end of that movie. Like, like you have to understand in my way of seeing they, how they set this story up is that once the one came into existence, like that was it. That he was had it, control yeah, exactly. of everything in the Matrix. Yeah. He could free everybody or whatever. I think that... That's where Even they initially speech, yeah. Right. I'm gonna show everybody something. Right. And that's where they went with in that movie. And the Matrix to me ends with that with that moment. Exactly. The spin-off movies to me were like, well, let's expand the show. And then they put limitations on what the one was supposed to be, and then they made it that it was like this decoy ploy or whatever, which oh, you God. can tell is kind of stitched on afterwards, but that to me was like a whoa moment at the end too where like man neo has become the one he can control everything in the matrix it's over so do you feel like the uh i guess you call it a button at the end of the movie uh where neo is talking and says you know this is how it's going to begin i'm hanging up the phone i'm flying around like superman you know (laughs) rage against the machine which is a great um, moment Yes, it's awesome, and I remember walking out of that movie just like pumping my fist yeah. because of how kick-ass it is that he's like, I'm coming for you, Matrix robots. But right. do you feel like that was in the original script, or is that attack on to be like, we need to... I think that you was know, the I think that was the original it, script. I think that was the original intention for the ending of the movie because... They wanted to do this as a one-off, and so, seeing someone fly around and everyone breaking out of their 
breaking out of the matrix by looking by seeing someone like that. I mean, that that's the end. Like well, everyone, he, everyone's going to break out of this whole trance. And he says, I'm going to show them a world without limits or boundaries, a world without you, you know, and, and that to me is like, I'm going to eradicate the matrix. I'm going to free everybody like like that, you know, and he flies away and stuff. You know, yeah, you. I think with any story, right, you can always revisit and and continue telling the story, especially something that complex like The Matrix, because there's so many facets and and uh, to explore, and you can dive down into so many other areas. But to me, it felt like a true ending. So then, when Reloaded yes. came out, and you get that explanation of the one, I was a little let down because I was like, well, this seems a little tacky, you know, yeah. like this seems like it was just. That's why I consider Reloaded and Re... Uh, was it? Uh, Revolutions. Oh Revolutions, sorry. Yeah. Reloaded and Revolutions, kind of like two separate movies that tell a good story. It's like one movie divided in two, basically, but The Matrix to like me is Like what is like canon and lore? Is that what they separate a lot of like stuff into? Like, yeah. It yeah. involves... It's using the the the... The ideas and the fun same stories. Same actors, but same motifs, but it's not the same. Visually, yeah. tone, tonally, yes. like the movies, if you watch the first Matrix and then you watch Revolutions and uh, uh, Reloaded, they they feel different. Like visually, yeah. they feel different. It's like the Hobbit movies to the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like you, they're not the same. They're, they don't continue. The same. They're, they're kind of their own thing, which is okay, but yeah. I, I've, I just loved walking out of the Matrix going like, that was a satisfying one-off ending I really hope the fourth movie is going to be cool because I still just want to see it, but I, I hope that they don't dive into some weird metaphysical crazy <laughs> shit. We just, oh, yeah. God. I have faith. I have faith in the Wachowskis. I, I do, too. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed Cloud Atlas and their, their more recent stuff. Really? Jupiter Ascending? You like that? Well, I, I really didn't see that one. But also, I don't think you would come back to The Matrix, especially after, you know, some flops. Uh without having something that you're like, I'm going to knock everyone's socks off. All right, so we're, we're at the end of the movie. He's become the one. The weird thing about this, guys, is that, like, previously we've had, like, some, some thoughts ahead of time. Like, I didn't know if Back to the Future was a perfect film, but it felt like we all went into this one, like, like really excited. I know I said at the beginning that I was a little trepidatious, but... The moment I hit play, I was in, you know, and I think that is just a, a such a great sign to well, a movie. Well, yeah, that's the beauty of having a good of, of watching a, a really good film play out in, yeah. in front of you. It's like, you know, you keep, as long as you are in, in, trapped inside of this movie, like you're trapped inside of the Matrix, as long as you're trapped <laughs> inside of this movie, no pun intended, um, that's the sign of a good film. You know, if you get yeah. distracted by your phone and all that other stuff while you're watching a film, then it's not that great, you know? Yeah. And it, it's like Ridley Scott says, a good film is like a good book. You can throw it on, you can watch it, and you can be thoroughly enjoyed every time you see it. You know, just like reading a good book. You know, if yeah. you revisit, you know, that's – it's pretty much the same. Actually, it is the same in my opinion. I think film is better than movies. I mean, a uh, film is better than books, but you know what? That's just me. <laughs> hey, you know, I had a, when I worked at a bagel shop in college and I had a very cool manager who hipped me to a lot of films at the time. And one day we were just standing there and it was slow and out of nowhere, he turned to me and he said, 
you know, people say 2001 A Space Odyssey is the best sci-fi movie ever made, but I'd watch Terminator 2 any day of the week. Oh, yeah. It was just so mind-blowing to be like, yeah, 2001 is a great movie, but it's probably not my first choice to throw on. And The Matrix, I feel, is very similar to that. What the key takeaway for me for The Matrix in terms of it being an icon in film compared to, like, for example, 2001 is that while 2001 is a brilliant movie from a filmmaker's perspective, Mm -hmm. it's not for everybody. Like, there are people that are going to think it's boring. There are people that aren't going to understand it. There are people that are going to think it's pretentious. Like, I can understand all those sentiments because when I watch 2001, I get that. But The Matrix philosophically is a very like it's got a lot of depth it's got a lot of concepts it's got a lot of motifs and themes but yet it has a very relatable action base action base and it has a very relatable character base that in a way creates a movie that everyone can enjoy because at the end of the day you take something out of that movie no matter what right and i think that the depth of the philosophical side sets to serve like, well, now I can dive in deeper to this movie where I enjoyed it at this level, you know, with the action. Now I can actually enjoy it for deeper. Whereas opposed to a movie like 2001, you're kind of like, well, what did all this mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Actually. I like it's, and I go back to the um, Ridley Scott saying a a good movie is like a good book. You know, you can put it in again and you can rewatch it. And sometimes you can pick up on stuff that you wouldn't even remember or see the first or second viewing or even 30th viewing. Then all of a sudden you pick up on it again and you're like, wow, I did not notice that. So is The Matrix a perfect movie, guys? I know that's not the theme of this this podcast, but uh, I would kind of say as a standalone film, it is with one or two caveats. But yeah, I would say the same thing. I think it's I think it's an amazingly shot film. Actually, I keep on talking about the shots in this film. I think it's very, very, very well shot and very well thought out. Like you were talking about with the um, earth tones and the green tones between the Matrix world and the real world. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's pretty, pretty up there. I think it's pretty up there with um, with, uh, you know, Back to the Future. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm not going to say it's a perfect film, but yeah. Yeah, not a perfect film. And but I love it. I could watch it multiple times a year and still have fun. Um, my big takeaway, like I said, I just, I don't like the, there's so much attention to detail in this movie, except for the world, the real world. And so that's what I want more of. And then unfortunately the more of the real world I got in the other two spinoff movies isn't what I need. So I think this all comes back to, I got to watch the animatrix. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's going to be an interesting take for you. I think that you'll yeah. you'll uh, you'll experience something uh, kind of unique. And this was all around the time that those spinoffs were released. They they did the video games, they did the Animatrix. They really kind of expanded their storytelling, which, in a weird way, was the beginnings of kind of what Marvel did with their cinematic universe. They stitched oh, I am it sure of it. I am and, sure of it. Yeah, and I think that. We gotta like people have to look back on these things and and really appreciate what you know Joel Silver was setting up back in that day because you know he uh, this was that was monumental for the time and they they really uh, it was it was interesting I I played I remember I think I played Enter the Matrix and it had actual cinematically shot scenes with um, Jada Smith Jada Pinkett Smith and I get forget the guy who played Ghost. 
Um, but oh, they, yeah. they did give you more of the story throughout the video game. And I remember a friend of ours got it and we played it just because we wanted to kind of dive it deeper into the story. So, um, yeah, yeah. But either way, though, guys, uh, what a fun movie to review. Oh, it was amazing, actually. Um, and it was an amazing film to review. And, the, and one revisit. of the most stylistic icons uh, in film history that I can think of. What 100%. I totally um, agree with I think that. we should totally remind everyone listening that if there's a movie you think we should review let us know in the form of a five-star rating and review on apple podcasts we will look at those and i'm always itching for new movies to watch same here i'm always interested in like something that can pique my interest yes yes um this has been fun guys peter do you want to take us home yes sir so for rob and rob you are listening to madrigal at the movies i hope everybody enjoyed this podcast and uh we will um you will hear us next time <laughs>